the back of that blue psalter hymnal behind the songs, you'll find the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. And tonight we look to question and answers 37 through 39 as a faithful summary of God's Word. And they cover the topic which is the basis of our message tonight. It's found on page 22 behind the songs. Lord's Day 15, question answers 37, 38, and 39. Let me ask the question and we'll respond together with the answers. Question 37, what do you understand in the Apostles' Creed by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might set us free, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by a civil judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. And is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, this death convinces me that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was a curse by God. And then in the scriptures tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, the first seven verses. Now this is God's holy, inerrant word. an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the church of God in Corinth together with all the saints throughout Achaia grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So far the reading of God's holy word.
beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, I want you to follow the basic logic of the Apostle Paul's introduction to this letter, 2 Corinthians. You notice in verse 5 that he says, The sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. Now who is our? Well, Paul's speaking of himself and the apostles. Those who have been appointed by Christ, called by Him, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to continue the work of Christ after Christ had ascended into heaven. And of course, the apostles in the early church were endowed with the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, able to do the works like Jesus was doing. But of course, they were proclaiming the very person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who had come before them. The glorious truth about Christ coming into the world to save sinners, to be obedient to the law of God, to suffer death on the cross, as we read about in the catechism tonight, and then, of course, to be risen from the dead for his people. But I want you to see that Paul understands that the suffering that he is undergoing as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ is flowing from his relationship to Christ. In other words, because Paul belongs to the Lord Jesus and he has been committed, Jesus has committed to him the ministry of himself, then he will also share in the sufferings that Christ endured. Now look at verse 7. The Apostle says, keep in mind, we now, as the Apostles, have receive the sufferings of Christ ourselves, and our hope for you is firm, because we know that you share in our sufferings. The Apostle Paul saying is that Christ has committed to us the ministry of Christ. We are proclaiming Him and all of the things that He's done. And as a consequence of us carrying the apostolic ministry, we suffer like Christ suffered. And when you hear our message... While we are suffering and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith and trust in Him, you then also receive the sufferings that we have received from Christ. Because all of Christ's people who have put their faith and trust in Him obviously are now united to Christ such that they participate in His sufferings. Now, of course... The good news is that the Lord does not leave the apostles or leave any of His people who come into contact with the apostolic ministry which has been committed to the church today when they believe the gospel, that is the gospel of the scripture, and they receive then the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ as part of their life. Of course, the good news is that the Lord does not leave us in our sufferings. This is what Paul's mainly talking about in this introduction, isn't he? Look at verse 3. He calls God the Father of Compassion. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Speaking of the apostles. So that then they can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that they themselves have received from God. So God does not leave us as orphans when we suffer and when we struggle along, but He comforts us. But what's the end of the comfort that we receive while we are enduring in this life? The sufferings of Jesus. It's verse 6. It's patient endurance. Isn't it? And patient endurance does not always look for deliverance from all of our sufferings now because you don't endure sufferings that go away. They go away. But patient endurance, which is developed in the lives of God's people, is what? Looking away from what is going on now 
refusing to define your condition in this life based on your own sufferings right now. It's looking toward the future, enduring the troubles now, knowing what is coming later, which is the glorification which we speak so often about, the scripture so happily points us to, to build that endurance in us. The question I want to ask you tonight is, what kind of suffering is Paul talking about? When he talks about sharing in the suffering, the fact that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore His sufferings will flow over into your life, what sufferings is the Apostle talking about? Well, there are two kinds of things. And the first one is probably the most obvious one, the one that comes to mind very clearly. And Paul talks about it right away in verses 8 and 9, right after his introduction here. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we, as the apostles, suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In the first place, the kind of suffering that you share in as a Christian, that Paul shared in as an apostle of Christ. Of course, we have believed in Christ through the apostolic ministry in our own day. The kind of suffering that you suffer with being united to Christ is the persecution for being a Christian. It is the suffering that you have which other people do not have because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, in the case of the Apostle Paul, this was extreme forms of of this kind of persecution. I mean, the persecution he mentions that was going on in Asia, we can talk about that from Acts chapter 19, where many times, well, this time in particular, Paul was facing almost a certain death as he had come into a town and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ had really threatened the whole economic structure of this city. Paul's in Ephesus... There arises a great disturbance about the way. That's what they called Christianity. There was a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, the false god. This is how he made his living. This is how he made his riches. He made little idols. And it brought in no little business for the craftsmen, for the common man, the lower middle class, the hard workers of the day who were just trying to feed their families. The economy depended on these little figurines of silver being made and sold. And the Apostle Paul comes into the town and they heard about him before he got there and his messengers along with him are preaching that these gods are not gods at all. That they're false gods. That they're actually an idolatrous offense against the true God who has made the heavens and the earth. So this craftsman is aware that the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to cause disarray in the community. He calls the people together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Man, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see in how this, uh, you see in here this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. So we hear. You know, he says that man-made gods are no gods at all. And if that truth is believed, says Demetrius, then people are going to stop buying what we are making. And we are stop, we are not going to get rich off this anymore. Some of you are not even going to be able to feed your families. This has to be put to an end. There is danger that our trade will lose its good name and that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself 
who is worshipped throughout this whole region. Forget this crazy Jew who's coming into town and telling us to worship his God. Artemis will be discredited herself and she will be robbed of her divine majesty. And of course the crowds hear this and they become furious and begin shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And the whole city was in an uproar and the people seized some of Paul's companions. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd to defend himself, but the disciples, the Christians who were there, said, Paul, you better not go in front of that crowd because they will string you up. Even some of the officials of the province, Paul's friends, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly goes on into confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most people didn't even know why they were there. And the pressure was increasing to the magistrates to put an end to Paul's preaching. I mean, it was certain death. Paul had no rights in Asia. Paul was far away from home. The Lord miraculously delivered him through the mouth of a city clerk who stood up and told them that they didn't really have a legal charge against the Apostle Paul and if they didn't quiet down, probably the Roman armies would come in, the district Roman rulers, and would accuse them of causing a riot for no reason. And he also said, by the way, don't worry about what this Paul is saying because Artemis really is God and Artemis will crush this sectarian religion that's coming in so we don't need to put Paul to death. You see, he was miraculously delivered. Paul was persecuted throughout various times in his ministry because he would hold fast to preach the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of horrible opposition. I mean, Paul describes that event and says, I was sure I was going to die. I knew I had received a death sentence there. That is my suffering. That is when I hold fast to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ that I am going to be alienated. I might even die for my faith. And any kind of persecution that you suffer specifically because you are a Christian, because you are doing what is right, is this kind of category of suffering. This is the same suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself went through. Right? I mean, being perfect and being truthful in all of His ways, coming into the world that would reject Him and was hostile toward Him, He suffered during His whole life, as the Catechism says, and especially at the end, being rejected for the truth. What kind of suffering do we have in this regard as Christians today? Well, not really many of us. I mean, it's true of some of our brothers and sisters around the world that they will die and be oppressed physically even for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't know. There are some, I guess you could call it, aspects of suffering that we endure as Christians in this country in our little pocket here in Southern California for believing the truth. For example... You live your life for Christ instead of for yourself. Like, you know, you don't think that the ultimate end in life for you is to gain as many material things as possible. You know, you don't find the end of your life to entertain yourself incessantly. Uh, You don't turn your religion into the church where you will find the most emotional satisfaction all the time. 
and all of the practical fulfillment that you would just expect and all of the needs that you think that the Scripture should meet in your life, when in fact that has nothing to do with the pure worship of God and the humble confession of sin that's required of God's people week by week. You don't pattern your life around so-called worship that will entertain you and thrill you. You seek to glorify God in worship. You seek in your conversations not to plunge yourself into the sins of others. And when then you can't be as close to other people and have the same kind of friends that other people have because your worldview is so strange. When you have to make financial sacrifices to help the church meet its obligations and everybody else around you has all that extra money to just do whatever they want to do. I think you can call that suffering. Suffering for the sake of Christ. You have the privilege to be united to Christ and to suffer according to the pattern that He suffered. When He stood out in His day and loved the Lord His God with His heart, soul, mind and strength. That's one thing. Persecution for the sake of your faith. And maybe you are enduring other kinds of persecution. Maybe you in the workplace can't make as much money because you won't lie. You think about how Christ is calling you to carry your cross and not to compromise. And you know that it's your privilege to suffer by your obedience to that command. But there's a second way in which the Apostle Paul thinks of suffering when he talks about being united to Christ. He read you from chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians verses 7 through 11. He's talking about his own qualifications really as an apostle. There were some who were calling that into question. And one of the ways they would test him or discredit his claim to have authority is that he was just a weak person. I mean, the apostles had no outward glory, did they? They came with this radical message that was not popular. It was not well received. A lot of them were not very smooth in speech at all. And of course, they're aging and dying themselves so that when you look at them, they're not all that impressive. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The character, and you see this even played out in the apostolic ministry today. Do churches which are faithful to preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and faithful to the worship that God requires, are they always going to be the ones that are on the front page? Are they going to be the organizations and the groupings of people that the world will look at and say, wow, they've got it all together and look how they're flourishing according to worldly standards? No. You know, this is just how it is. The Lord will not share His glory with other people. He will sustain His church. But He will not build up any particular man, woman, or child who is a part of that church or a leader in that church so as to share His glory with that one. He will not flourish uh, the church outwardly in this age. We believe that. Because He doesn't share His glory. These are treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now Paul says... Therefore, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. 
And we always, listen to this, we always carry around in our body, as the apostles and you who received the apostolic message, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So Paul's talking about all of the weakness that he has, even physically. All of the struggles that he faces in life, becoming perplexed, but not going into despair. Being lonely, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And you might be tempted to think that he's still talking only about the persecution that he receives for preaching the gospel or for living in light of the gospel. But he goes on in chapter 5 right after that to say, We know that if in the earthly tent we live in, if that's destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. And meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are being burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by immortal life. And what he's saying is this, that I can even look at something in my life as mundane as my aging and my dying, my suffering under the common curse, the fact that things don't work out exactly as I think they should. It really has nothing to do, per se, with my following Christ. We suffer as Christians under the common curse just like everybody else does in a lot of ways, right? But Paul says in something as maybe unconnected to my obedience to the Lord Jesus as my physical sickness and death, I am suffering too. And I am bearing in my body the same sufferings of the common curse that Jesus underwent for me. Why? So that I will be identified in the glories that will come. What it means to be identified with Jesus in your suffering means not only that you are persecuted for His sake, but it means that the common cursed sufferings that you are enduring tonight are flowing over into your life from the common cursed sufferings that Jesus endured for you. You know, because Jesus along the way during His whole life on earth, lived in this common cursed society. I mean, He came and lived in a world that was being judged because it was sinful. So He knows what it's like tonight for you to run into irritable relationships with people when really it's not necessarily one person's fault or another. Jesus knows what it's like to be weak. Jesus knows what it's like. He walked around when things didn't happen to fulfill Him or make Him happy. Jesus knew what it was like when He prayed to the Father, Not my will, but your will be done. When the Father said, My will is for you to go to the cross. So Jesus knows what it is like to be disappointed with God's plans in your own life. Now you think about that. The suffering that you have when things do not work out the way that you want, not just when you're persecuted for the sake of Christ, but also in your daily life when things aren't the way that you want them, or the Lord is not answering your prayers in the way that you would like Him to. Jesus knows that, and that suffering that you have 
is flowing over from the life of the Lord Jesus through the apostolic ministry into your life. And of course you are called tonight to patiently endure that suffering because what is coming for you is a relief from all of your persecution for following Jesus and a relief from all of your common cursed sufferings and all of your dissatisfaction and and struggling and questioning even the will of God and His providence in your life. People always want to tell other people why God is doing something in their life. Isn't that annoying? You know, you face some kind of suffering and some kind of difficulty or the Lord is not answering your prayers in the way that you would like and you are downcast and you are struggling even to hold fast to the promise that all things work for good and somebody comes along and decides to tell you why God is doing that in your life, right? Of course, God hasn't told them that. He hasn't said that in His Word. One thing we can say, why do we suffer under the common curse if Jesus has already suffered in His body and soul for us and delivered us? Why are we left to suffer after His pattern if He has already earned the glory for us? We can say that God is winning a great Redemptive triumph in us. He is displaying in our lives and to the whole world and even to the angels our own weakness and what He will do in the future with that weakness to glorify us and pour out His mercy and His power in our lives. Why does He cast us down? Why does He leave us? Why does He identify us with the sufferings of Christ only later to be identified with His glory? It's to display His power in us. He gives us compassion and comfort with His promises along the way that we may patiently endure and then we will see in the end display the fullness of His glory in our lives. This is what Job had to learn. All of Job's counselors came along and tried to explain to him the reason why he was suffering in this life until God gave him the answer. He said, Job, it's not about you. Job, it's about me displaying through your weakness my triumphant power that I have redeemed you and that I have loved you. And I will not share my glory with you. But I will demonstrate my glory through your weakness and then through your exaltation. Our suffering is not a punishment. It's a precursor to glory. That's why Jesus suffered under Pilate. So that we wouldn't be condemned by the eternal judge. This is why Jesus was crucified. So that we would not be accursed by God, the eternal judge. I want you to know, the Apostle Paul says in a different place, I want you to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Your sufferings, people of God, are different even than the common curse sufferings of those out in the world. They look the same and they feel the same, but for you there's something different. They're God demonstrating His power, His perseverance of you while you struggle until He glorifies you. I want you to know 
The fellowship of sharing in His suffering, says Paul, becoming like Jesus in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Dear friends, Peter says, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But you rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And we continue along as God's people under the cross tonight. We're not in glory. We're left with the outward signs and seals of the reality. We don't yet see Jesus face to face, but He meets us and feeds us His true body and blood through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Doesn't necessarily at this time lift us up emotionally, doesn't solve all of our problems. But one day, the full resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ will be displayed in us. And may the Lord give us grace to patiently endure until that day. Amen. Let us pray. Father, sometimes we would suffer for our obedience to You. Often we're so self-consumed and pathetic that we're not even sanctified enough to, uh, for that to be a truth in our lives. Have mercy on us and would we be faithful to You? Stop acting like unbelievers. And then when we suffer for the sake of Christ and also when we suffer with all of the frustrations of this life that are common really to all men, would we believe that through faith in Christ and being united to Him that His sufferings have flown over into our lives and that we most certainly will be delivered in the last day and glorified as certainly as Jesus came out of the grave and was glorified. Would we patiently endure and not lose hope and not compromise until that day? For we pray in Christ's name alone. Amen.